Thank you. Boy, you have so much talent on a uh, campus church like this. It's just, it's wonderful. And thank you so much for the invitation for Karen and I to come down. It's, it's been a few years. We're really glad to be with you and are just praying for God's uh, presence to be here. Uh, I'd like to do an experiment, if I could, real quick. If we here in this room will all be very quiet, those who are listening in overflow, can you hear me? All right, when I count to three, I want to hear you say amen. One, two, three. Okay, so, okay, so I, I just want us to feel like one group for at least a moment. Karen and I went over there and took a picture with the overflow group and, uh, and had a good time. Anyway, maybe I'll run over there for a minute during half the sermon. But no, I don't know that, I'm not sure that the PA would accommodate that, so better not. Uh, just before I open the word with you, <laughs> well, if it wasn't for the fire marshal, I'd invite you all over. <laughs> um, yeah, just before we, we open the word together, a couple of words. You, you've heard them say, and now a word from our sponsor. Well, this is now a word to our sponsor. That's you. And so uh, we want to thank you for this invitation. Thank you for keeping Amazing Facts going. Next year will be 60 years since the ministry began. It'll be 30 years for Karen and I with the ministry, and um, it's just a miracle. You know, we've got evangelism training in seven countries now, just the work happening with satellites all around the world and so many exciting things. We're coming out with, you know, probably our most successful video project was years ago. It was called The Final Events of Prophecy, but it was done in standard definition, really kind of clunky. That's the best we had back then. We're releasing a new updated version of that. It's called Armageddon, the final events of prophecy this year. We've been working on it for three and a half years. Seems like all our videos take 1,260 days, <laughs> 42 months. But uh, yeah, it, it uh, will be coming out. So pray about that. It'll be a great, it, we think it'll be an Amazon Prime. And uh, then we'll release it and people will put it on YouTube and we'll send the message out. Uh, last night, some were not here last night, so I want to just repeat briefly a lot going on. We're going to Panama this year, Colorado, Florida, um, Pakistan, New York, um, Jakarta, Indonesia. It's got a lot going on at Amazing Facts, and, and we, we've got an exciting year. Biggest thing is we are returning to New York City, doing a meeting. Uh, it's going to be a global evangelistic meeting from Manhattan, the same place we were during the Net New York series in 1999. It'll be the 25th anniversary, and you can be part of it. We're inviting people who want to come. Uh, that uh, We're looking for especially young adults, which is why we're you know, making this appeal for the Advent Hope Group, to uh, come and be missionaries in the jungle, concrete jungle. And we're going to give people training during the day, evangelism training, missionary training, literature distribution, uh, they can go out on the streets then in groups. We'll talk about safety, give out material. Some will do street singing, street preaching. The New York pastor say you can do that there with a permit and um, do mission work, be part of this series, and come, invite your friends, come to the meetings then that night, and you help us be part of the crowd. So you may want to come for a day. You may want to come for the whole series, which is September 20 to October 5. For more information, if you can spell the word odyssey, it's prophecyodyssey.org or .com, either one, and you'll find out more. What am I forgetting? Oh, 
I, after the sermon today, I am going to be scooting out the door. I don't want to be rude, but I'm going to another appointment. But I will be at the Romanian church tonight from 5 to 6, and I'll probably have more time afterward to visit. So forgive me if uh, I've got to get from point A to point B right after the service today. You'll understand, I hope. Okay, thank you. Let me just have a word of prayer if you'd bow your heads. Loving Lord, we'd invite you to come into this place as we believe there's something you want to say. And I pray that uh, you will forgive the sins of the one who's to be a mouthpiece and that we'll hear Jesus speaking and that our lives will be different and you'll touch our hearts, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go to the book of John, chapter 3, please. I think everybody knows this. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You realize that there's no, there's no other opportunity. It's, it's not maybe, or you could be, or should be. You must be. And if it has to be one or the other, being born of the water is baptism. That's your choice. Born of the Spirit is God's choice there'll be some people in heaven that were not born of the water. But everybody there must be born of the Spirit. And I have been a conference evangelist, and typically, and this is expected, after a series, the president might say, or the ministerial secretary, how was the meeting? Great meeting. And he's going to invariably say, how many were baptized? Because that's a great gauge for success. But I've never had them say, how many were born of the Spirit? But what's the most important? I've seen church committees get together and they'll debate a project or a program or some building project and, and they'll talk about you know, not having the right personnel, they don't have enough money, uh, they don't have the right training, but I've never heard them say, we can't do this because we don't have the Holy Spirit. We'll go through all kinds of things thinking that we can do it without the Spirit. But the Bible says, let not the strong man glory in his strength or the wise man in his wisdom or the mighty man in his might. But him that glories, let him glory in that he knows me. Not by might or power, but by my spirit. Everything must be done by the Holy Spirit. It is the most important thing. I've always loved flying. And before I was old enough to learn to fly with a plane, I'd fly a kite. I'd jump a motorcycle. I was watching your video up here, and I kept telling Karen, what a great place to ride a motorcycle. Look at <laughs> So I don't know whoever's planning that, but you know you're making some of us stumble when we look at that country. <laughs> and um, I remember the first thing I did for flying was a kite, to make a kite fly. And I remember going to New York City. I, I grew up there, and in Central Park on the weekends, a lot of people would go out with their kites in the spring. And some had very creative kites, and they had big kites, and they had decorated kites, and it was, it was interesting. I got my first kite. And I couldn't wait to get out and fly my kite. But the problem was there was no wind that day. So how many of you have seen a kid with a kite and there's no wind and he's running himself ragged back and forth trying to get the thing airborne? And it gets up a little bit, but as soon as he stops, it drops. That describes our church. A lot of churches. We're trying to make it float with man-made power. 
And what we need is the power of the Spirit. If the wind blows, it's a lot easier. You know, during this last big freeze they had on the East Coast, I don't know if you saw on the news, but I had to giggle a little bit. Two of our pastors at Grand Bay have Teslas. And they were showing on the news these people pushing their Teslas down the street to get them charged. I got a friend that bought a, a big electric pickup truck. And uh, he was driving up north and he, didn't, he thought, oh, I got plenty of battery. He didn't know there'd be a traffic jam that left him idling until his battery run dead. So he called AAA. They came by and the guy dropped off this little Honda generator. He started it up, plugged it into the car. He said, I'll be back in four hours. <laughs> so think, power is really important. Uh, Karen and I have had a house off the grid for years, and I, I really uh, I think a lot about power because you know, the whole house is powered uh, off the grid by sun or wind or water in some cases. And um, one of the most interesting places I've ever been, how many of you have been to the big island of Hawaii? Not Oahu, Hawaii. And that is so unique because, you know, sometimes I go to Captain Cook and beautiful weather, and then you go to Hilo and it rains all the time. And you drive across and you go through Waimea and the wind is always blowing there. And you go to the south and you can walk and watch the volcanoes putting lava in the ocean and the steam is coming up. And being conscious of power, it is amazing to me all of the natural power ability of the Big Island. They got geothermal potential, they got lots of wind potential. Over there by Kona, they got solar, sunshine's a lot potential. They've got uh, water coming down from Hilo, the, the uh, hydro potential. Most of the island is powered by diesel. Isn't that sad? Makes me think of the church. God wants us to be powered by the Spirit. Are you aware that in the early days of the church, Peter did not have a computer? He did not have a smartphone? He, now, I'll have some notes from my message, but Peter didn't even have notes. I don't think he dropped his notes and said, I'll be right with you during Pentecost. Hang on a second. It's here. Page three, page four. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was speaking from his heart. The Lord was able to do with those uneducated fishermen in one generation what he's not been able to do with a denomination with 20 million people and lots of money. Why? If we had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we had nothing else, it would happen. You could not keep the message to yourself. You'd be wanting to tell everybody. And people would see you had the joy of the Lord and they'd say, what are you taking? What do you have? They'd want what you have. But if we're Adventists, instead of Adventists, <laughs> nobody's going to want your religion. I had this one brother corner me in a church lobby one day, and he just was really upset and very concerned. And he said, it's awful. He says, we've, just, we've become Babylon. And he went on and on. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, we should not have crosses in our church which was a whole different subject. And I, I'm looking in this particular church, and I said, uh, what cross are you talking about? He said, it's on top of the communion thing. The little lid was a cross. <laughs> it just stole his joy. And 
I had to finally stop him in his tirade and say, brother, I just have one question. If I believe like you, will I be like you? I don't want to believe like you if I'm going to be like you, because you're sure not very happy. We ought to have the joy of the Lord. Amen? The gospel is good news. And being baptized in the Holy Spirit is good news. It gives you peace and love and joy and power, and you'll have the fruits of the Spirit. I want to have you go with me in your Bibles to the second book of Kings. We're going to talk about one of my favorite stories. This is the story where Elisha receives, I hope it's not a spoiler for anybody, he receives a double portion of the spirit of Elijah, which is what we need now. Now you realize that, how many of you want to receive the latter rain, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the last days? If you're going to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the last days, the only people who get the baptism of the Holy Spirit are the people who first have the Holy Spirit. You know, in the upper room, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. The disciples had the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. He sent them out teaching and preaching. They were casting out devils. That wasn't their own power. They had to have the Holy Spirit before they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, something I want, but don't lose your place there. I'm going to read something you kind of already know. I'm going to go to the book of Joel real quick. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it'll come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh here doesn't mean all kinds of animals. It's talking about all different kinds of people. It doesn't mean all people saved or lost. It means all kinds of saved people. Rich and poor, young and old, male and female. Notice how he says this. And it will come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And also on my men servants, my maid servants, they're the poor. I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And notice, and I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it'll come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that means whoever has a life of calling on the name of the Lord will be saved. You notice something here? This is describing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter refers to this in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. He quotes Joel. And he said, this is the former reign foretold by Joel. It's going to happen before the great and powerful day of the Lord. The sun turns to darkness, the moon to blood. Now, that's happened historically. It's going to happen again in quick succession when Jesus comes and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken and they'll depart as a scroll. All these things happen again in quick succession. But you notice the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the latter rain power happens just before the end. Well, when I look at the things happening in the world today, I figure we're due. It's time. And so my appeal to you is have the Holy Spirit now so you can receive the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that you are born of the water and born of the Spirit? He said, Jesus said, he didn't say it would be nice to add this to your experience. He said, unless you cannot be in the kingdom of heaven. You must be born of the Spirit. We need to have Spirit-led lives where we are surrendering to the voice of the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? Now go back to 2 Kings. The reason I say this is because the experience of Elisha, before he gets a double portion of Elijah's spirit, it, it teaches us something about how do we get 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What did he do? Verse 1, chapter 2, 2 Kings. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. Now God had told the sons of the prophets, it became common knowledge among them. One of them had prophesied that Elijah was not going to die the death of the average man, but he was going to get a heavenly escort to heaven like Enoch. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to do it. Elijah, take Elijah into heaven. Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, there's, there's several names here, and there's a meaning for them all. The word Elijah means, my God is Jehovah. Elisha's name is similar to Jesus' name in that it means, my God is Savior. You've got Elohim, Shua. Joshua's name, Jesus' name is Joshua. Yahshua, Jehovah is Savior. Elisha's name is Elohim, is Savior. Similar name. And it says that uh, he was in Gilgal. The word Gilgal means circle or rolling away. It's where the Israelites first camped after crossing the Jordan River. Elijah said, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. He said, you don't have to say. He says, I'm going on a circuit. I need to go encourage the sons of the prophets. That was the old version of the AFCO school, AFCO training. If you don't know, AFCO is the amazing fact center of evangelism. We train missionaries and evangelists. He says, I've got to go encourage them before I ascend. So you can stay here. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel together. So one thing you should be uh, thinking about, if I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, walk with Jesus. Go where he goes. A lot of people walk with him a little bit, but he says, uh, you might want to stay here because I'm going there. And you say, all right, Lord, I'll catch up with you later. Or you go places Jesus isn't invited. But you've got an, an occasional walk with the Lord. Elisha has a consistent walk with the Lord. The king said to Daniel, your God who you serve continually, he will deliver you. <clears throat> and that's still true today. He wants us to have a consistent, continual walk with him. He says, I'm going. If you go, I go. By the way, what's the word Bethel mean? House of God. Bethlehem, house of bread. Bethel is house of God. So when Elijah says, I'm going to the house of God, Elisha says, I'm going with you. Amen. What was Jesus' custom? As his custom was on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, the house of God, and he read the scriptures. And if we don't have enough faith to get us to church once a week, we probably don't have enough to get us to heaven. He had a, a pattern of going to church every week. This is Jesus. And Elijah said, I'm going to Bethel. Elisha said, I'm going with you. I'm going to the house of God. So they get to Bethel. This is where one of the schools of the prophets is. So the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel, they came out to Elisha. Elijah's you know, teaching, and some of them came out, and they talked to him on the side and said, have you heard? Do you know? The Lord will take away your master from over you today. Now, what that means is they knew Elisha is, he is vice president. He is the prophet in training. He had been apprenticing for the position of Elijah. God had told Elijah when he was up there on Mount Carmel, you remember the story, he's run from Jezebel, he's up on Mount Carmel, and he's a mighty wind, but God's not in the wind, and there's a, a fire, and God's not in the fire, and there's an earthquake, and God's not in the earthquake, and then there's a still small voice, and it says, what are you doing here, Elisha? 
That's being spirit-led, listening to the still small voice. God never told him to run from Jezebel. And then after God and Elijah talked a little bit, he said, I want you to go and I want you to ordain Elisha, the son of Shaphat, to be prophet in your place. So right from the very start, Elijah and Elisha knew what this was all about. He said, I want you to train your replacement. And that's part of good leadership, is to be training people that could step in, teaching people what you know. And it's a, it's a touching story because this is after the famine. 40 days he runs out down there. There's been a great rain, you remember, during the famine. After he prayed, the fire came down, the water came down. And um, then he runs 40 days in the wilderness. Now he comes back. And at this point, the ground is softened and they're, they're farming because there's hope again. And he comes by this one property of a very wealthy farmer because they got 12 yoke of oxen. So Elisha's got, he's a, from a wealthy family. A yoke of oxen back then was like a, a John Deere tractor, and they got 12 of them. To have that many oxen, you got a lot of land. You see what I'm saying? And this poor prophet comes and he throws his dusty mantle, his cloak over your shoulders, and that was a symbol for them back then. God has chosen you to be a prophet. Elisha knew right away what it meant. And he said, he went after him and said, let me say goodbye. Let me kiss my mother and father goodbye. Elijah said, what have I done to you? He said, you're free. So he told his mother and father goodbye, and he went and he burnt the tools that he had been working with, the plow, and he sacrificed the oxen and gave it to the people. He basically liquidated everything he had. You remember one time Jesus said to a rich young ruler, he said, sir, what must I do to be saved? He says, what do I lack? He says, well, keep the commandments. Oh, I know all these. He said, go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Take up your cross and follow me. He wouldn't do it. He went away sad and rich. Isn't that something? Went away rich and sad. Because he had great possessions. Elisha, he sacrifices everything. Gives it to the poor. Says goodbye to his parents. And this is what Jesus is talking about when someone said, Lord, I want to follow you, but you know, first I've got to do something else. And he said, any man who follows me, when you put your hand to the plow, do not look back. Elisha turned away from the worldly plow and he followed after God. He would not look back. And he never went back. He followed Elijah faithfully. So he becomes a servant. And now, you know, not all of us are trying to apply to be a servant. Jesus says, I've come to you as one that serves. When one of the kings was introducing Elisha the prophet to Jehoshaphat, he said, this is the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So, I mean, you think about the job opportunities of following a prophet that lives by a creek and he's fed by ravens, or he lives in a widow's attic, or he's up in a cave on Mount Sinai, and you think, I, I want to serve him. That's a rough calling. It doesn't have a lot of promotion prospects, but he had the Holy Spirit. He knew he was God's servant. And Elisha said, I'll follow you. Following Jesus, taking up your cross, it doesn't promise worldly advantage. Let anyone who wants to follow me deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's what Elisha did. So the sons of the prophets come to him and they say, have you heard? He's going to be taken away. You are going to be large and in charge. 
He said, don't talk about it. I don't want to think about him leaving. Being in charge, being head prophet doesn't matter to me. I love him. It's, it was breaking his heart. And then he says, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me, I'm in verse 4. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Now Jericho, it's one of the oldest words in the world. I think it means fragrance. And sometimes God will take us in circles like Gilgal. Sometimes he takes us to the house of God like Bethel. Sometimes he leads us through fragrant places. And he said, you can stay here. And what does Elijah, Elisha say? He says, as your soul lives, and as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Why don't you say those words with me? I will not leave you. That's something to make a covenant and say, wherever you go, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho together. Once again, sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, they come to Elisha and they said, do you know that the Lord is going to take away your master from over you today? He said, yes, I know. Keep your peace. I don't want to hear about it. And then Elijah says to him, stay here, please. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. Now, the word Jordan means descending. Jordan just happens to be the lowest place on the planet, unless you go to a cave somewhere. It is the lowest place. Where the Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea is about 1,300 feet below sea level. And the, the word Jordan means descending. And in the Bible, Jordan represents death. Uh, our hymn writers know that. If you go through the hymns, and you'll often see hymns, though through Jordan thou leadest me. Because the, the Jews understood that Jordan was the boundary between the wilderness and the promised land. And let's face it, most people that are going to see the promised land have to go through the Jordan. We need to die. And even baptism, John baptizing in the Jordan, he could have baptized in the Mediterranean. He could have baptized the Galilee. But he baptized in a river that represents what's baptism? Death, burial, and then resurrection for a new life. And Elijah says, I'm going to Jordan. And sometimes Jesus says, I'm going to death. And he says, I'm going with you. You know, when Jesus says, take up your cross, where do you usually take a cross? To a crucifixion. And if it's your cross, whose crucifixion is it? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to really make a decision to say, Lord, all that I have and all that I am are yours. I'm making an unconditional surrender. I will go where you want me to go and mean it. You're going to be the priority in my life. God is going to give his Holy Spirit to those people that empty themselves. The reason God can't fill us with his spirit is we are frankly so full of other things. We're so full. We want some of the Lord. We want a lot of the world. But you can't serve two masters. He said, where you go, I will go. And you know, the Lord blesses you. I, I don't want you to think that, you know, I met a guy that was, I was actually in a Kmart when they were still around. And this guy had a Christian t-shirt. And so I used that as an excuse to visit with him. And he said, yeah. And he said, matter of fact, he said, I'm carrying a cross around the country right now. He said, you are. He told me a very interesting story. He said, I'm witnessing for Christ. He said, I got a cross. I go up the road and I've got a sign on the cross and, you know, John 3, 16 or something like that. And he said, people witness. I've got some tracts I give out. And he said, I'm making my way across the United States. 
And I guess he had already reached California. I was in Ukiah, California. And he was telling me, he says, you know, I started out a little ambitious. He said, I had a big cross. And he said, I was going down the road. He said, it was heavy. And he said, part of the problem was, he said, I was dragging it. I was dragging this wooden cross down the shoulder of the road. People would honk and they were nice. He says, I, and he said, it was filing it down. It was sanding it down and it just kept getting. So, so I stopped at a shop along the way and someone put a wheel on there for me. Said it was a lot easier to carry. He said, but then, you know, after a while, said, I started getting a callus on my shoulder and splinters. So another guy in an upholstery shop, he said, he made a pad for me. He said, that was a lot easier. He said, but it was still heavy. And at the end of the day, my back was aching. I told a friend, he said, you know, there's a fabricator over here. Why don't you get one made out of aluminum, paint it? No one will know the difference. He said, that has worked great. He said, so now I've got a wheel, I've got a pad, and it's aluminum. He said, this cross is a breeze. Now, some of us want that kind of cross, don't we? We want the, the padded aluminum wheeled version of the cross. That's not what they gave Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to Jordan. Stay here. And what does he say? As the Lord lives, I'm in verse 6. As your soul lives, I will not leave you. You know, on occasion I'm asked to do a wedding. And uh, I, I've had to finally say, I, can only, I only do it for our members. We were getting a lot of calls from viewers. They said, Pastor Dick, can you baptize me? Can you marry me? And it was getting out of hand. I finally said, you know, I'm a pastor. I baptize and marry our members, with a few exceptions for family and close friends. <laughs> Very few people actually ask me to marry them compared to the baptisms. And I think it's because my last name is Bachelor. <laughs> and... The women are superstitious. They say, oh, yeah, I'd love to have Pastor Dick. I don't know if I want the word bachelor signed on my wedding certificate. That's my theory anyway. But when I do weddings, one of my favorite verses is to quote from Ruth. And Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, when Naomi said, go back. I'm going back to Bethlehem. You go home. And uh, she urged them. And finally, Orpah goes back. What do you want to call her? Oprah. Orpah goes back. And uh, Ruth said, do not entreat me to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death separates you and me. And that's good for a wedding until death do us part. And this is what Elijah, Elisha is saying to Elijah. He said, as the Lord lives with a vow, he says, I'm going to follow you. I, he vows three times, I am sticking with you. We need that kind of tenacity and resolve. If you make up your mind to be a Christian, know ahead of time. It's like a marriage. Going into a marriage, you know there's going to be good days and bad days. But you've made a commitment. And if you've committed to be a Christian, there's going to be times it's going to be tough. But you've made a promise to God. And he will never forsake you. He will always be faithful. You've got to stick with him. That's one of the keys to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, they went on together. <clears throat> and as they go down to Jordan, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 
And 50 men from the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance as they went down the bluff towards the Jordan River, which carves its way through the valley there. They watched. By the way, there's a spiritual based on that. It says, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? They went down, they stood at a distance, they watched them. And now Elijah, when they come to the Jordan River, Elijah takes off his mantle and he rolls it up and he strikes the water. And it was divided this way and that way, so the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So Elijah has this mantle. Now this is the mantle that he first used to call Elisha, right? He had thrown it over his shoulders. And he rolls it up, and I just in my mind I picture... Um, I don't know if any of you have ever made a rat tail out of a towel. Do you know what I'm talking about? You roll up a towel. There's a certain way to do it where you have the maximum effect. And I learned this in military school. We would have rat tail fights. We'd roll up our towels and pop each other. And, and I got really good. I could take a fly off the wall with a, with a rat tail. It's true. And, um, and it pops like a whip. And it, it helped keep the boys in line when they were young. <laughs> but that's not all, that's illegal now, I know, but it's okay. Anyway, yeah, they're not going to file charges. So um, I just picture Elijah takes his mantle and he rolls it up and he goes, pop! And all of a sudden the waters part, but they don't just part. And this is, this is springtime. The waters are running strong. And the Jordan used to have a lot more water than it has today. You can throw a rock across it now. And not only does it part, it says the ground dries. Which is what happened when the children of Israel crossed with the ark. It says the priests put their feet in the water and they stood there with the ark and the waters parted and they walled up on one side and they ran down to the Dead Sea on the other and everybody that crossed over went by the law of God, the ark. And now you've got Elijah and Elijah is the greatest of the prophets. You know, two characters met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses the law and Elijah the prophets. Endorsing that he was the Messiah. The word of God endorsing he is the Messiah. And here you get these two occasions where the Jordan miraculously parts. Making the way for someone to get across dry. Translation, you don't get across muddy, you get across clean. See what I'm saying? You get across clean. And it's the power. One of them is the law. The other one is a robe. It's the robe of Elijah. Now, who's Elijah? Elijah is the one who's about to ascend to heaven. But before he ascends to heaven, he visits the disciples to encourage them in the word. What did Jesus do before he ascended to heaven? He appeared multiple times to the disciples. And every time he appears to them, it says he opened to them the scriptures and helped them understand the words. And he said... Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He took them through the scriptures. And this is what Elijah was doing. He went to visit. Then Jesus ascends to heaven. And then he sends the Holy Spirit. So Elijah is about to go to heaven. And the river is parted with the robe. It's like the robe of Christ. You know, the only thing that Jesus left behind was a blood-stained robe. Now, we will all be judged by the law of liberty. The Bible says that we're rewarded according to our works, but we are saved by faith and grace. 
I hope that doesn't trouble you because if you are saved by grace and faith, your works are going to show a difference. Is that true? How do you know if someone has the Holy Spirit? Because they speak in tongues? No, they've got the fruits of the Spirit. You don't determine if someone's got the Holy Spirit by the gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't say that. You determine, he said, you'll know them by their fruits, which are what? Love, joy. How many of you know those? Peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. We'll have that in our lives. The works will show that we've been born again of the Holy Spirit. So if you're angry all the time, you don't love anybody, you may not be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You need to pray that God will forgive you and help you be born again. So they walk across on dry ground. He comes up clean on the other side. So it was when they had crossed over. Verse 9. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I might do for you before I am taken away from you. Wow. That's what you call a blank check. I mean, here you've got the mightiest prophet of antiquity. Just there's something between him and Moses when it comes to power and demonstration. I mean, Elijah prays three times fire comes down from heaven. Do you remember? Once on Mount Carmel, two other times he burned up armies. Captains and their 50 soldiers. He said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and burn up you and your 50 soldiers. <laughs> Remembering that, James and John wanted to do that to the Samaritans. Yeah. They thought that Jesus would be pleased. And they said, no. This is a different story. Yeah, that's not, you don't know what spirit you're of. Some of you want to be baptized with that Holy Spirit, right? You can burn up your enemies. He prayed and rain came down, fed by birds, multiplied the bread. I mean, this is a mighty prophet of God. And he says, is there something I can do for you? You know, it's always nice to have friends in high places. And... Uh, I'm thinking of a lot of stories. Karen will probably say, no, don't share that one. No, don't share that one. Karen, I went to Fiji to preach. And the president of the country is a Seventh-day Adventist. And uh, he's not now. George Conradi, he's retired, but he was at the time. And a nicest guy, converted from Methodism, watched our programs. He heard we were coming to preach. Man, it was embarrassing, the treatment... We got off the plane. They said, oh, no, you don't go through the terminal. You go in here to the greeting area. We'll take your bags for you. We've got a police escort. And we're going, wow, this is really strange. <laughs> it was kind of nice knowing the president. <laughs> we got special treatment. Well, you know, you, got, you know Elijah. And he said, what can I do for you? I'll talk to the king. I mean, the king followed his orders. Isn't that right? He told Ahab, get all of Israel together. He did. You want me to talk to the Lord for? What do you want? So what would you ask for? When I was a kid, I used to, uh, I wasted a lot of time watching television and they had these programs about, you know, you could, what do they call them? 101 Arabian Nights. You, you find a genie in a bottle and the genie typically gives you three wishes and you can ask for anything. And it's fun to dream. You know, what would I, what would I ask for? Got a lot of dreamers in California buying lottery tickets. 
you better chance of finding a genie in a bottle. But, uh, and then you hear the stories about how people waste their wishes. Of course, the first thing you'd ask for is unlimited wishes. Give me more time. I remember one story. These three guys got washed up on a deserted island in the South Pacific. They're shipwrecked, and they got washed up, and there wasn't much on the island, just some sand and coconuts. And uh, after day after day of sitting there on the beach, waiting for rescue, eating nothing but coconuts, out in the sun, they saw something glimmering coming towards them on the water. And as it got closer, they thought, well, that's sort of odd. It doesn't look like the regular plastic flotsam that's out in the water. And they went out, and, then, and they all grabbed it at the same time, and it was a bottle. And as soon as they grabbed it, a genie popped out. The true story. <laughs> Got to watch these evangelists. And uh, genie looks around and says, well, this is a little unusual. Um, usually I give out one wish, but I see there's three of you. He said, I usually give out three wishes, but I see that there's three of you. How about one wish apiece? They look at each other and they go, oh, wow, you know. And uh, the first one doesn't hesitate. He says, I know what I want. He says, I am so tired of coconut every day. Coconut, 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 cereal, coconut, fried coconut. He says, I want to be at a New York smorgasbord, all I can eat. Poof, he disappears. Well, the second one saw that it worked. And he said, oh, I know what I want. He said, I've just been burning under the sun. All I can think about is getting up in the mountains of Colorado. He said, I want to be snow skiing in Aspen, Colorado. Poof, he disappears. The third one, as you've guessed, was not the brightest of the three. And the genie says, what do you want? He goes, well, I'm not sure. He said, uh, one wish. And he said, one wish. He said, oh, I don't know what to ask for. I wish my friends were here. <laughs> then there's the typical one. Karen's telling me no, but I'm going to overrule. So the guy gets the three wishes, and the first wish is, he says, I want a Swiss bank account with a billion dollars. And poof, he's got this bank account, he opens it up, one billion, his name. Then he says, I want the fastest red Maserati sports car. Poof, there it is, this beautiful red Maserati sports car. So the third wish, he said, told the genie, I want to be irresistible to women. Poof, he turned into a box of chocolates. <laughs> Aren't you glad I shared that with you? <laughs> I just do that to lighten things a little bit because, you know, friends, it, it really is serious. What would you ask for? Well, if you could ask for anything, maybe you can. Didn't Jesus say, ask? Up till now you ask nothing? Ask that your joy might be full? God spoke to Solomon in a dream and he said, ask. The Bible says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in all the commandments of the Lord. And he said, what can I do for you? This is during the good days of Solomon. And he said, he didn't specifically pray for wisdom. He said, give me an understanding heart that I might know the difference between good and evil, and right and wrong, that I might judge this people of yours. The first concern of Solomon was the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Those are two things he specifically mentioned. And what does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Solomon was wanting to be a righteous judge 
over God's kingdom. That was his principal concern. And did God answer his prayer? He became the wisest king who ever lived. And especially during his early days, he was a righteous king. So Jesus has asked, what should we be asking for? Obviously the most important thing. Now let me tell you what Jesus tells. Jesus hints what we should ask for. He said, if your son asks for a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? Luke adds one more. He says, if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? I mean, clearly not. Your kid is hungry. And then Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So if you've got a prayer list, what ought to be number one on the list? The Holy Spirit. All the Christian virtues you should be praying for. You know, it's so interesting that if we're honest, so many of our prayers are, we want things. Lord, I need a better job, better pay, better car. I need a better spouse. I need better, you know, whatever it is you pray for. But we're always asking for these like earth, make things. We're praying really, it's kind of like the guy that's in prison. And he's praying. He said, Lord, this prison is miserable. It's cold all the time. Could you please give him a heater? Lord, this prison is miserable. My feet are freezing on the hard concrete. I can't kneel. Could I have a carpet? These prison covers are so itchy. Could I have smoother covers? And he keeps praying that God would make conditions in prison more comfortable. And God says, why don't you ask me to get you out of jail? <laughs> so many of our prayers were really asking God to make us comfortable while we are on our way to hell. We want to be comfortable. We want to have what the world has to offer. Maybe we're telling ourselves, you know, before Jesus comes right near the end, like the thief on the cross, I will repent and then I'll be saved. People who are planning that, I don't believe they can count on it. Matthew Henry said, there's one example in the Bible of a deathbed conversion, so nobody needs to lose hope. But then he said, there's only one example of a deathbed conversion in the Bible, so nobody dare presume. A lot of people are planning on waiting until they see the finish line, and then they're going to say, now I'm going to get serious. Friends, the time to be serious is now. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now is when we want to do it. He said, ask what I shall do for you. And Elijah says, you've asked a hard thing. Another way to put it is you've asked the biggest thing. He not only said, I want spirit. What did he say? I want a double portion of your spirit. He wants a double dose. Why did he ask for a double portion? Who typically gets a double portion? The firstborn. Now, Elisha walked away from his family. He had no inheritance coming from his parents. Elijah had no family. Elisha's his adopted son. He said, if you've adopted me, if you love me, you know who else got a double portion? Elkanah gave Hannah a double portion because he loved her. So because of love and because of adoption, so when he's asking for a double portion, it's because of God's love and because he's adopted us. You know, when you're baptized, a voice says, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. You are adopted into the family of God, and he has an inheritance for you. What is that inheritance? Peter says in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is unto you and your children and as many as the Lord God shall call. He has made a promise that if we do our part, he'll give us the spirit. You cannot live the Christian life without the Christian spirit. Amen? There's nothing more important that we need to be praying for. And in the world today with these forces, the devil has come down with great wrath. And he has sharpened and honed his skills where God's people, fortunately, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. It's kind of like a, an iceberg you might see out in the ocean where the wind is blowing south, but somehow the iceberg is going north. And you think, how can the iceberg be going north when the wind is blowing south? It's because 90% of the iceberg is under the water and the current below is more powerful than what's happening that you see. And you and I, I like that iceberg. We need to be driven by a deeper power. That is, we're not going to let the, the winds blow us everywhere they go. We're being controlled by something that's inside. God's spirit that is driving us. So, he says, you've asked a hard thing. If you want to receive a double portion of the spirit, here's the criteria. Elijah says to Elisha, if you see me, when I'm taken up from you, it shall be so. If not, it will not be so. Now, Elijah has just told you that if you see him when he is taken up, you get a double portion of the Holy Spirit. What's your attitude going to be about what you look at? How many of you would, if you're walking through the desert with Elijah, and you know you've got to see him when he's taken away, would you take your eyes off of him? You'd probably pin him open with toothpicks and just look at him. It'd be really eerie. So I'm not going to miss this. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, laying aside the weights and the sin that does so easily beset us, let us run that race with endurance, looking unto Jesus. How do you lay aside the weight and the sin? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, why lifted up? Position of visibility. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent. Why did he lift up the serpent? So they could see it, right? If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can do the impossible. And it's not just Jesus all the time, it's Jesus lifted up. If you know that Christ died for you and he suffered for you personally, and he's demonstrated his love for you, and you know sin hurts him, that ought to hurt you and make you want to turn away. Like Peter, we should go out and weep bitterly when we know that we've grieved Jesus and denied him and then be filled with the Spirit. So he said, all right. As they walked along, it happened. As they continued on and talked. What do you think Elijah was talking about with Elisha before he went up? Talking about the word of God. What did Jesus talk about before he ascended? He opened the scriptures. As they walked along and talked, it says, suddenly. How did the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, then suddenly. They were gathered together in one place. They were of one accord. They were praying, and suddenly. I think it's going to surprise us when it happens. By the way, don't miss these opportunities to come together. It would have been terrible if someone had stayed home at Pentecost and they said, you weren't at church today? Wow, did you miss out? You never know when it's going to happen. They were praying together. 
Here they're walking and talking together, and suddenly a chariot of fire, the heavens part. It appears with horses of fire. It separates the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. Kind of like the apostles stood there gazing up into the heavens, and the angels said, Why do you stand here? Men of Galilee gazing up into the sky, this same Jesus that you saw taken from you into heaven will come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. By the way, that's still true today. He's coming back. So he saw him no more. He took hold on his own clothes. He tore them, a symbol of repentance, and he took up the mantle of Elijah. Whose clothes did he tear? His own. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. What does he take up? The robe that Elisha leaves when he ascends to heaven. What do we take up? What did Jesus leave behind at the cross? A blood-stained robe. We take up the robe of Christ's righteousness. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And he takes that, he says, and he cries out, and he says, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, tears his clothes like blind Bartimaeus, threw aside his filthy rags and came to Jesus. So there's repentance happening here, a persistence to follow, a listening to the word, keeping his eyes fixed upon him. There's a dedication happening. And what's the fruit of that? A baptism in the double portion of the Holy Spirit. As John the Baptist received the spirit and power of Elijah, Elisha received the spirit and power of Elijah. And the Bible tells us in the last prophecy of the Old Testament, Remember ye, Malachi chapter 4, remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He means that there's going to be an army of people that will be filled with the power and spirit of Elijah. But if we're going to get the power and the spirit of Elijah, we need to do what Elisha did. We need to say, I'm going to follow, Lord, wherever you leave, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and to pray and ask and believe. The Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Friends, the time is ripe now. We're near the end. The sun's going to turn dark. The moon's going to turn to blood. And we're going to see the final signs and wonders. And God wants to baptize his people with the Spirit. But our hearts need to be prepared. Ask ye of the Lord. And it says that he will send flashing clouds, meaning he'll send an outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. I want that. I want to be ready for it. You know, one of the amazing facts that I, I found as we do our radio program, I'm always researching or people are sending me facts, is a story about Camp Sumter, sometimes known as Andersonville Prison. It was a POW camp operated by the South where they imprisoned soldiers captured from the Union Army in the North. And the camp was originally intended to hold maybe 10,000 prisoners. But in that 26 acres, they ended up with 30,000 prisoners. And the conditions there were as bad, if not worse, than any concentration camp in that the people were basically not fed. These young men, 16,000 died from disease. They had no shelter except any blankets. They kind of made a little makeshift tents to protect them from the cold and the sun. And when they slept at night, they could not lay down without touching someone else. They were all crowded together like sardines. The only water that was supplied 
was a filthy creek that first ran through the barn and the camp of the soldiers of the guards, and it turned into a big quagmire swamp uh, by the time it got into the camp. This is 1864, and conditions were so bad, thousands of these young men that normally would be really tough were dying from malaria and typhoid. And, and then one terribly hot August day, they realized they just weren't going to make it through the day. They said, we need to pray for water. And first a few of them got down on their knees in the middle of the camp, and then others joined in, and it turned into a massive prayer meeting with 30,000 men praying. And it was a cloudless sky, and some of the guards were mocking. And all of a sudden, out of a cloudless sky, a little cloud came over, and it began to billow, as you've seen them do, and it got bigger and bigger until pretty soon the heavens grew dark, and then the lightning flashed, and lightning hit the middle of the camp. Nobody was struck by the lightning. The water began to pour. It was what you call a gully washer, long enough for them to get a drink. They were able to take off and wash their clothes. They cooled off, and it completely scoured the camp. The other miracle was, after the cloud passed away, a spring where the lightning struck began to flow. And it continued to flow through the rest of the war. And it's still there today. It's called Providence Spring. They've got a monument. You can see it where lightning struck when the people were praying. Has God changed? He can still do it today, friends. Amen. How many of you would like to say, Lord, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me pray with you. And then there's some closing announcements. And I know it's, it's hard for you to kneel where you are, but I'd like to just kneel. Loving Lord, we believe your word is as real today as it ever has been. And we're doing what Solomon did. We're asking. We're doing what Elijah did. We're doing what Elisha did. We're doing what the apostles did. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. Forgive our sins. Help us be committed to follow wherever you leave, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to turn and repent of our sins. And then, Lord, we want to empty ourselves, take up our cross, and we trust that you will fill us with your Spirit. The church needs this, Lord. It's only going to be by your spirit the work will finish. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.